Hello there. Welcome to the 56th episode of Split Focus, a film and TV podcast. My name is Simon Eady, and alongside me, I have my co-host and man extremely aware of what the Benz is, Adrian Pinter. How does it go, sir? General Kenobi, it goes quite well. Thank you very much for asking. How are you, man? I'm okay. Yeah. You know, movies, theaters are open, and we've seen a couple Ooh. movies. You've seen more than, than I in theaters, I think, for this past week, and it's exciting times. It's true. Hopefully, we don't close down again. It's looking pretty good for Canada, at least. We're fortunate in that way. So, it's uh, it's not bad. How has your week been? It's been pretty uneventful. Yeah, not, not much went on. I just went to the movies a few times. Uh, yeah, watched a lot of movies at home. It's uh, It's been a... Watched a lot of movies this week. It's just been one of those weeks where I I wasn't in the mood to do much else other than work and relax at home and watch some stuff uh, or relax in the theater and watch some stuff. So, yeah, uh, nothing too crazy. Well, how about you, man? Not much. Not much. Not much at all. Interesting. Yeah. So uh, this week, I don't know if you saw, there was an article that came out through The Hollywood Reporter. It was an interview of uh, David S. Goyer. A lot of it had to do with, you know, like his uh, attachment to, um, you know, Man of Steel and, you know, just a, a bunch of his movies, The Dark Knight, etc. Um, however, there is a quite a funny part in this article. I don't know if you read it where. Um, so I guess spoilers for Man of Steel, a pretty old movie at this point, not relatively, uh, relatively old at this point. Um, how at the beginning of Man of Steel, Krypton gets destroyed. You're aware of this, right? You know, Krypton explodes. What? And <gasps> yeah, believe it or not. And no uh, our lovely believe, believe it, believe it or not. And is that a Canadian reference? Yeah, exactly. Because we're Canadian here on this show. Spill focus, a film and TV podcast. Anyway, go on. Hey. Anyways, uh, and yeah, obviously Superman gets uh, gets uh, sent back to Earth, or not back to Earth. Gets sent to Earth. Grows up. All that good stuff. And um, simply put, uh, at the end of that movie, when Zod comes down and starts destroying everything, Superman destroys his pod, um, simply put, like the pod that he came here with. Um, And the studio execs at Warner Brothers were upset about that and said that they shouldn't destroy Superman's pod because how is he going to get back to Krypton? And uh, David S. Goyer in the interview uh, said, did you not see the first 20 minutes of the movie? (laughs) Um, And I don't know. I found that piece in the article pretty funny because it just kind of goes to show that a lot of these studio execs have no fucking idea what they're talking about. And they're just in it for the business. And it's kind of disappointing. It uh, really shines a light on that sort of aspect and how the studio meddling tends to uh, ruin movies a lot of the time. Cough, Suicide Squad. Cough. Justice League, the, the the Justice League, indeed, yeah. indeed. That article was interesting for other reasons. I actually quite enjoyed that. I, I liked it. I like the works of David S. Goyer. He does a good job, um, and I think he's taking a bold move as he claims in that very interview in his mm-hmm. attempt at Apple TV Plus's foundation, which mm-hmm. should be very interesting because the 
the issue with trying to adapt that is that there's not much in in the way of like proper character development and potential like emotional attachments that a reader even would or like you know a viewer can potentially have with certain characters because it times jumps pretty quite drastically apparently in the books my brother pointed mm-hmm. that out to me actually because I, I sent him the second trailer and he's like well that trailer looks good but I don't know how they're going to adapt this because there's not that much there. It's almost like a, a retelling of history rather than like a, you know, a plot like story. So mm-hmm. it uh, it was interesting to read the perspective in which he's going to attempt at Foundation, which I appreciate. And it looks like it could be pretty good because he seems to have a plan for the fact that he realizes this issue with the foundation, like the Isaac Asimov novel. So it's going to be cool. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm excited for that. But it's, it's an interesting article because he, he mentions more than more than just the Superman situation. He mentions other things in which he, he basically claims that a lot of the movies he's written are not necessarily written by him. He claims that the ones that are true, truest to what he his vision was, was the Dark Knight trilogy, which is fair because I don't think Christopher Nolan's much of a meddler or, or lets anyone meddle in his films. Um, and the Blade films, which I think is interesting. But yeah, anyway, are they going to bring him back for the Mahershala Ali Blade? Who knows? I don't. Maybe. He was thinking, I think he, there, was a, there was a part in that article as well in the interview in which he said that he's not quite, he's not so interested in writing comic book films right now. He's taking bigger like risks and that he's writing, trying to write other things. Oh yeah. The other thing he's adapting, the only other comic book thing he's adapting like recently is Sandman. The interviewer from the Hollywood reporter also said, asked them a question like, well, you're, you're adapting two things, Sandman and the foundation that are arguably impossible to adapt or that people have said are impossible to adapt. Are you doing this on purpose? Because you're trying to take these big risks. So I think that that's kind of – that is an interesting concept because Sandman and the Foundation are coming out around the same like at least one-year period. So it should be interesting again to see how that works out. Sandman's being produced by Netflix, I believe. Yeah, it is indeed, my friend. It is indeed. It's neat. I don't really know much about uh, Sandman at all other than that it's like a DC property sort of thing. But I'm curious about it. And like it's pretty neat that he's just going all in. He's just trying to make some very difficult things come to life. So – Good for him. Good for uh, David S. Coyer. Good for him. Yeah, indeed. I hope Sandman uh, turns out because Neil Gaiman. I don't know. It's a bit of a rocky track record in terms of what Neil Gaiman's like properties have been adapted that are good. Like American Gods, I think the first season is very well regarded, and then as it moves into the second and third, I believe it wasn't as re- well regarded. And then Good Omens with David Tennant and um, what's that gentleman's name now? Michael Sheen. Yes, Michael Sheen. Uh, that that also was kind of rocky reviews. Like it's not they're not badly reviewed, but they're just just not as good as you you know, might think based on how reputable Neil Gaiman's books are. So curious, mm. very curious to see how it turns out for Sandman. Indeed. Alrighty, let's uh, let's move into some show corrections. Um, Let's reach into the mailbag to do that for a moment here, shall we? We ask our listeners to write into us with comments, questions, and corrections by way of Twitter or by email to splitfocuspodcast at gmail.com. And Kenneth Stadelbauer wrote into us, and he said, Folks, a small correction. Snake Eyes is the G.I. Joe team's ninja, not a villain. His sword brother, Storm Shadow, works for Cobra. The movie appears to be an origin story, with Henry Golding replacing Ray Park as the titular character. 
Marvel did a run of the G.I. Joe series for adult readers. Even though the illustration style was similar to the animated series, guns didn't shoot harmless beams of light. Every crash wasn't accompanied by a parachute escape. And most memorable for me, the original Cobra Commander died after taking an arrow to the eye. One of my exes had the entire comics run. Uh, we'll stop here for just briefly. We talked last week about G.I. Joe, that, that uh, Snake Eyes Snake Eyes movie. Yeah, th- those G.I. Joe movies, they're just not well-reviewed. The Snake Eyes movie is not, mm, it's not in- entirely badly reviewed, but it's like it's 50%. A 42. It's a 42% yeah. currently on Rotten Tomatoes. The audience score is pretty high, though. It's 73%, so I guess some people are enjoying it. But uh, yeah, I don't know. That movie in general just didn't look good. It looks like kind of like a fun time. I don't know. When I was at the theaters watching uh, one of the three movies I watched this past week, they had like a little sort of, um, I guess, sizzle reel. You know, you know how they do like the interviews with like the cast and like producers uh, prior to like trailers and stuff occasionally uh, at the movie theater. Sure, sure. Yeah, of course, of course. And it used to be head up by our, our pal um, Tanner Z, Canadian treasure Tanner Z. They did him yeah, dirty. We don't know him at all. I know. I know we live in Canada, but um, yeah, we don't really know him. I was just saying we're our pal just because we enjoyed seeing him at the Cineplex. But anyway, he was one of my favorite things about the theater. Arguably, my favorite thing about going to the theater is seeing my boy Tanner Z on on screen. So, how did you ever recover when he was let go? I didn't. I'm still suffering to this day, dude. Hmm. Sorry to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. Love you, Tanner Z. Anyways, uh, but yeah, there's, uh, you know, like interviews with the cast and stuff, uh, like Henry Golding in particular. And you know, he's like smiling, talking about it. He's like, yeah, like I'm very excited to do this. It feels like it's a superhero, like I'm a superhero and like this is a superhero movie. And just from that statement alone, I mean, I, again, I'm not familiar with G.I. Joe, but it just felt like, well, like the these these studio like the studio, the actors and everything, they're just trying to make like another Marvel sort of style movie. Like it's an origin story, blah, 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 blah. I'm sure it follow, follows a relatively similar formula to the Marvel movies. And I forget uh, one of the producers, he was also being um, interviewed. And like the question was like, oh, like, why are you um, excited to bring uh, Snake Eyes to the big screen? He's like, well, it's obvious because Snake Eyes is the most popular G.I. Joe character. Um so like it's gonna make a great movie, and he's also really cool. I'm like, this guy doesn't know what the fuck he's talking. About. <laughs> he's just trying to make some money. So it was one of those situations. And uh, as soon as I watched that, I was honestly, I, I, I knew it wasn't gonna be a good movie. Unfortunately, well, um, I guess you didn't know that from the first two. Come on. Um, I never watched any of those first two movies. Um, and I know those aren't reviewed well, but who knows? I don't know. Like it, it seemed, it seemed fun. I like the trailers. I still kind of want to watch it. I might go just to waste some time, but no guarantees on that one. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So that was not one of the movies you watched this week. It was not, spoiler alert. What were the movies I watched this week? Stay tuned to find out. Can you, can you give me a sneak peek? How many movies did you watch this week? In in theaters? No, in total. In total, 10. I've watched 10 oh, movies this week. All right. Ken continued. Ken continued in his email. He said... Last podcast, you compared Black Widow to the rest of the MCU. I was wondering how you rank it against other spy movies. It does stick to the basic Bond formula, big vehicle chase, random fights with underlings, a big boss encounter where the evil, usually global plan, is revealed, and defeat said boss. I found the added humor and character development to make it superior to any of the Bond movies, including the Daniel Craig 007 flicks, which I think were the best of the franchise. 
signed Kenneth, and I quote here, History is moving pretty quickly these days, and the heroes and villains keep changing parts. A quote by Ian Fleming, the creator of James Bond, and Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, and ex-agent for Britain's Naval Intelligence Division. Okay, Adrian, do you agree with that sentiment, that Black Widow is a better movie, is a better spy movie than a Bond movie? Well, so my knowledge of spy movies in general is fairly limited. The only ones that really pop into my head uh, are like the J- the James Bond like Casino Royale movie, which I've seen. That's the only one you've got you've watched. That's the only James Bond movie I've ever seen. And uh, I would definitely agree that Black Widow is a better movie than that movie, or at least I enjoyed Black Widow more than that movie. Ooh. Um, and then the only other spy movie that I can think of that I watched is I think. The Man from Uncle, Guy Ritchie's like remake of I think the TV series starring uh, Henry Cavill, um, Ina De Armas, and I believe it's Army Hammer, the Cannibal. Um, and I remember really liking that movie, but I I couldn't tell you exactly what happened. So I, I imagine I like Black Widow more than that movie too. But uh, yeah, again, that's really my only knowledge of spy flicks. How about you, man? You you definitely have a little bit more knowledge on this sort of stuff. I'm going to correct you on your own knowledge of spy flicks. You've watched Tenet, which is an espionage thriller. That is what that movie is. And you've also seen the Mission Impossible movies, which arguably are definitely spy movies. They're a literal oh. spy organization. So because you've watched every Mission Impossible movie, you have a better perspective than you might think. That's a good point. So, okay. Um, Mission Impossible 3 to 7 is what we are on, are all better than Black Widow in my opinion. Okay. Uh, the first okay. two not. And then Tenet is, yeah, like no doubt in my mind, Tenet's a better movie than Black Widow as well. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Indeed. Good point. Um, I, I totally forgot Mission Impossible. I, I just like consider that like a action movie, but it definitely is a spy movie. You're right. Yeah. Imp- impossible Missions team or whatever they're called. But regardless, I would have to disagree with both of you on this. Casino Royale is a much better movie. Uh, in in execution and in as a spy movie especially um a spy movie typically follows a pattern of a character really it's almost like a mystery the 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 evil plan is shrouded in mystery as you discover who is actually in charge of it who's who's you know calling the shots and they keep discovering over time what the shrouded mystery is for instance another good example that's close to a spy movie Captain America Winter Soldier. Ooh. That's a spy movie more than this one is. And that Steve Rogers, Natasha Romanoff, they're going through that, trying to figure out who's behind the attempted assassination or assassination of Nick Fury, which happens at the very, very beginning of the film. So they're trying to figure out who who is doing that, who's in charge. Uh, and they do this slowly and deliberately by going to various places in the world to find out what the heck who's in charge. And they find out, of course, it's Hydra, and that's a huge Marvel Cinematic Universe event. Hail Hydra. But that shrouded mystery concept is more what makes it an espionage or a spy thriller or a spy movie than action scenes. Like, I also like the Bourne movies better. And I find actually that the way this movie started, Black Widow started, it could have gone the way of the Bourne movies and that there was a fight scene in the very beginning between two characters in an apartment. I think you recall. Happens mm-hmm. in Budapest, Adrian. That scene actually kind of followed a bit of the the Daniel, Daniel Craig gritty fight scene that kind of starts Casino Royale off. And it also, it kind of it kind of feels more like a Bourne fight scene in that way. And that's probably the most memorable fight scene in that movie. As that movie progresses, the action scenes are just not memorable. 
But overall, Bond, James Bond in Casino Royale, he's going to various locales around the world and he's discovering this mystery, this who is in charge of this evil organization and who is, you know, that's the, that's kind of the whole idea. They reveal that right in the beginning of Black Widow. Like there's no secret. It's like we know exactly what they're up to right away and we know who's in charge. And then they reveal a little bit more at the very end. There's no investigation in the middle, barely at all. There's family bonding in the middle. It is more of a Marvel movie than it is a spy movie in many ways. And then when it comes to the action sequences, Casino Royale literally at the time, it broke the record for the most stunt car rules or cannon rules. It's a it's a feat established by a stuntman by the name of Adam Curley. And he rolled the, the car, the Aston Martin DBS, seven times. I don't know if you remember that, but they he Bond crashes and there's a there's a car roll in that, and that's actually broke the record. It also launched and or really pushed it into the stratosphere, the hype behind free running and parkour. Uh, that was the very beginning of that movie. That was extremely memorable. There just are not any memorable fight scenes in this film. It's the, one of the problems with it is that it may be a Marvel film, but Black Widow's got some of the best fight scenes in the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe, whether it be um, in Civil War, when at the very beginning of the movie, that fight scene was awesome, uh, whether it be in Avengers 1, that chair fight scene, incredible. Loved it. I don't, uh, again, I just don't recall, even Winter Soldier, she's got a, a few great moments where she's like, falling down through the railings even in the beginning of that through that sh- that ship fight scene i don't know if you remember that adrian mm-hmm. but that that was also very memorable i just don't find that there's very much in terms of a memorable fight scene in this so in terms of these fights with inter- underlings and stuff yes that's it but i don't think that's what makes a spy film i think it's that shrouded mystery of who's in charge and that concept of that espionage of moving around the world and discovering who's who's behind it all and she's an incredible spy, and we barely see her do any spying in this movie. So I feel like I've talked myself into disliking Black Widow more because of Ooh. Ken's letter. But, um, but yeah. I still like the movie. It's not amazing, but it's good. It is good, but as a spy movie, 007 Skyfall um, and Casino Royale beat it. It, it. I mean, Black Widow might be a better film than um, Quantum of Solace or Spectre. Because those movies kind of feel a little bit more like they're kind of going through the motions a little bit of what a James Bond film should be. Uh, but overall, I think that as a spy film, Black Widow, uh, yeah, doesn't doesn't take the cake as a spy film. That's for sure. Also, Rotten Tomatoes agrees with me because they're, they're both Skyfall and Casino Royale are both above ninety percent, uh, and this oh. film is eighty. So all those critics, you're you're one of them. You're adding to that ninety percent, baby. I like it. Yeah. Well, I my my. I don't have any any review on there that's counted in that number, but yeah, I agree with them for sure. But anyway, yeah, that's my take on that. So yeah, you think that Casino Royale is the worst movie? It's, it's, it's an interesting concept. Yeah, I didn't like Casino Royale that much. That's fair. I, I think I don't remember if I talked about it on the podcast or just in general um, around you, not to you, because we don't talk outside this podcast. But of course, just around of course. you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I didn't, I didn't really like it. I really like Mads Mikkelsen, Mikkelson. Mickelson. I love him in that movie, but I just don't like James Bond as a character. He's kind of a prick. And uh, I know that's the kind of character he's supposed to be, but I don't like him. And uh, I don't know. I don't, I've mentioned before, I don't like watching movies or TV shows where I don't like the main character because they're assholes to a certain extent. Yeah. 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 That's one of those things that I just don't understand. (laughs) 
I, uh, yeah, that, that's something I will always disagree with you on it. That, that, that's not a requirement for a good movie in my opinion. It's not, it's definitely not, but I don't know. It, it definitely has an effect on me. I, I always bring up preacher, like by the last season of preacher, these, the main characters are just unbearable assholes. And I just hate, I just hate watching them. I, I, I'm almost rooting for them to lose cause they just suck so much. So I don't know. I see. I see. Well, I do appreciate you writing, writing in Ken. I love hearing your opinion every week. Um, me too. So thanks. Thank you for that. You're the greatest buddy. You're the best around. Oh, I thought you were going to continue. Um, yeah, I was hoping I, you would continue. Besides Black Widow, I'm just going to ignore you. <laughs> besides Black Widow, and uh, oh, you didn't watch that this week, but or besides not watching G.I. Joe this week, what did you watch, Adrian? What are those 10 films that you watched this week? I'm oh. tremendously curious. I don't know if we're going to be able to fit this all into an hour and a half of our, you know, our average time for our episode here. So let's see. Let's see what you got to say about 10 movies. I'll be... I'll be brief. Okay. I'll be brief for some of these. Okay. So. I kind of trust you. I kind of trust you. I wanted to go to the theater. I just like the theaters. I, I like it. They're open. I'm trying to go as much as I possibly can while this is open. Okay. And currently in theaters, there's a lot of sequel movies. One of those sequels. Uh, Space Jam. Is, I'm not going to watch Space Jam. I'm telling you right now, I'm not going to watch so you Space see, Jam. The first movie on that list is not Space Jam. Good to know. Next. It is not. Okay. What is it? It is not. That movie looks like shit, by the way. I'm just going to be blunt. It looks awful. Anyways. Uh, but yeah. Th- it does not. Okay, Simon. Go to the movies. Shitty. Go watch it. Spend money. It looks just as shitty as the first one. Uh, th- 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 no. I don't buy that for one second. Mm, I disagree with you, but whatever. Anyways. What's shitty about it? It's the Looney Tunes. It's the same hijinks they've always been up to. It looks like crap. Okay, Simon? It looks like crap. Look, we both haven't seen that. We're not reviewing a movie we haven't seen. There is. What did you see? released a scene of Porky Pig rapping. It's called The Notorious P.I.G. Are you kidding me? So what? Makes so I want to kill myself. Why does that matter? Anyways, I, I'm going to continue. Uh, one of the sequels that are out in theaters is a movie called Escape Room, Tournament of Champions. Um, so on Netflix, they have the first Escape Room. So on Saturday night, the night after we report, recorded last week's podcast, or the night of the recording of last week's podcast, you know, it was like 1 a.m. I was like, you know, I'm still awake, but I don't really want to do anything. And, you know, I knew this movie was in theaters, like the sequel. So I was like, I'm going to check on Netflix, see if this Escape Room movie's on there. And it was. And it and it was. So I decided to watch it. So I watched the first Escape Room movie on Netflix. And it's uh, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Um, probably the most notable person in the movie is Deborah Ann Wolf, who plays a main character in the Daredevil Netflix series. She does a great job in it. And long story short, the premise of the movie is a bunch of people get invited to this escape room. But if you don't escape the room, you die. But none of them knew that. And then all the people in the escape room, they all had like traumatic life experiences where they all almost died. Um, And that's why they were chosen to be a part of this crazy escape room. And um, that's really it. Uh, The (laughs) movie just progresses. They go from room to room. Some of them die. Some of them make it through. And it kind of goes from there. And um, the movie is a whole lot of like, oh, my God, I found a key over here. I found this jar. There's a there's a shape on this jar. What do you think this jar has to do with with the rest of the room? Oh, my God. Look at this. Look at this wall. There's there's a keyhole in this wall. And it's like, oh, my God, I have this key that I can put in this. It's a whole lot of like dialogue like that, actually. It's pretty ridiculous. Um, 
but I had a fun time. It's really fun. It's just like this schlocky horror movie with some decent gore. And, um, and it's great for the, the escape room industry ultimately. And, uh, I hope they're doing well in the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Like to be fair, it makes me not want to go to an escape room. Um, oh, because what right. happens if it is an escape room and I won't die, I was thinking, I was watching the entire movie and I was like, I would, I would be so dead. I'd be dead by the first room. I have no idea what the hell these people are doing. I would have no, I- I'm not good at escape rooms. I've been to a few escape rooms. Never like I've escaped them before, but I wasn't really the one, you know, pulling my weight. You know what I mean? I was with people that just knew better. They were smarter. They were more logical. They understood how to escape these rooms and I wasn't able to. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I was just like, a lot of the time I'm like, I'm dead. Anyways, escape room one, it ends. There's a couple people that survive and then escape room two begins. And then in escape room two, it's called the tournament of champions. And it's because it's survivors from different escape rooms put together in a new escape room challenge. And literally one of the characters says, what is this? Some kind of tournament of champions? And I was like, ha, that's awesome. I'm all what into is this. this. Some kind of suicide squad. <laughs> it's literally like a line, something along those lines. So I went the next morning. It was 1240 in the afternoon, super early, literally nobody in the theater. I had the entire theater to myself, a nice big bag of popcorn, lying back watching this movie. And I was having a good time. The second one is not as good as the first, I would say, but it's still fun. Still similar sort of premise, you know, just a, these characters together being like, oh, my God, we got to get out of here. But the stakes are even higher this time, Simon. You know, oh, dear. It, the, the escape rooms are even crazier than la- than last time. And, uh, you know, there's some twists and turns and, you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> but it was a fun time. I enjoyed it. I think these movies are good if you want to just shut off your brain and watch some people die in gruesome ways. Hmm. And that's my review of the two escape room movies. That's two out of 10, baby. Next up on my list. And third one is Space Jam. No, I told you. I'm not going to watch it. It looks like crap. It looks like crap. I'm not going to watch it. I thought you were going to surprise me. No. I actually did watch it. It's Space Jam, the third movie I watched. Okay. Looks like the worst movie ever. Anyway, what's the third movie? What's the third movie? So, the third movie, Simon, is a set of five movies. Because I wanted to go to the theater again. And there was another sequel in the theaters. And that sequel was the fifth in a running franchise called The the Forever Purge. The franchise is called The Purge, The Purge franchise. But this fifth movie is called The Forever Purge. Indeed. So I was sitting there thinking, I can't just go to the theaters and watch The Forever Purge. I got to watch the first four Purge movies. And uh, <laughs> yeah, because of all series, I mean, I mean, you can go watch... Lord of the Rings, Return of the King before you watch Two Towers, but not The Forever Purge before The Purge 1, 2, 3, and 4. Come on. No, no, you can't. You can't. Um, I'll, be, I'll be honest, though. You can. The Forever Purge has very little. It does not reference the previous four movies. I know. So. That was um, the joke. <laughs> that was the joke, Adrian. So. Definitely don't watch Return of the King before you see The Two Towers. I'm not going to. That's my recommendation. Or Fellowship. Anyway, so. The the first two Purge movies are on Amazon Prime Video here in Canada. The third Purge movie I rented for like five bucks. And the fourth Purge, pur, the fourth Purge movie, which is the first Purge, that's the name of the movie. The first Purge is the fourth movie in the franchise. That was on Netflix here in Canada. So I watched all, all of those and then went to the theaters to watch the Forever Purge. And now the Purge movies, 
I'm going to tell you something, Simon, that might surprise you. These are you like them. I actually, yeah, I do. Well, I, I do. I had a good time with them. They're fun. They're stupid, but they're surprisingly deeper than I thought they were. Like, it's not just, hey, like one day everyone gets to just do a bunch of crime for 12 hours and kill each other. There, There's politics. Yeah, there's a lot more like politics behind it. And it dives deep into like classism and there's like subtle white supremacy elements like spread out throughout these movies. Um, and you kind of just got to look how like past how ridiculous this premise is and how impossible it really is. Um, and you can start enjoying the movies for what they are. Um, I think as the series progresses and as the movies progress, they become a little bit more self-aware in their ridiculous premise and they kind of embrace it a little bit more, which I really appreciated. I think the first Purge movie, it starts off as more of a classic sort of horror thriller. Um, Ethan Hawke, Lena, Lena Headey. Um, they're like the stars of the first movie. And, you know, like a rich white family. They live in this beautiful house. Ethan Hawke's character sells like security systems to everyone on his street. So that he's super rich, has this amazing security system. And it's like, oh, OK, cool. There's um, the purge is happening, but we're fine. We're in this really nice house. And, you know, the the, the movie kind of progresses from there. My issue with that first movie is the dialogue is not well written. Everyone in the family is really stupid. Uh, the first Purge movie almost turned me off from the rest. Like, I feel like it was on that brink of being more bad than it was fun. And there's so many scenes in the movie where the family gets separated in their house prior to anyone even being in the house. And for whatever reason, they're having trouble finding each other in the house. It doesn't do a good job with spatial awareness because I have no idea how huge this house is. They're rich, so I'm sure the house is big. But the way the the scenes are shot and the camera is um, always like very close up to every character, you have no idea where they are, what room they're in, what is going on. And uh, it's not great. I'll be honest with you. That first movie is not great. Um, however, there's some pretty like gory uh, shit throughout it which was enjoyable enough now i would say the the first purge movie which is, sorry the purge the movie the first one in the, this franchise is definitely the worst like I'll, I'll just get that out of the way i'm going to tell you right now it is easily the worst of the five movies but when you get into the purge 2 the purge anarchy this is the one where i was like you know what this ain't too bad i was like i'm having a good time uh, you know, there's a couple of dumb choices that characters make. This one takes place mostly on like city streets and it kind of embraces a more um, action-y tone. Frank Grillo is introduced. He's like the main character of this movie. And the cast of each movie is different. So it's kind of like an anthology um, series in a way um, with very loose connections to each previous movie. But this one's really fun. And this one definitely dives a little bit more deeper into the classism aspect of the movies because now we're following poor people uh, or people living in, you know, not super high end neighborhoods and stuff like that. Um, and honestly, it's a really fun movie. I really liked it. Uh, kind of my issue with the Purge Anarchy is that no one other than the main characters are aware of their surroundings. It feels very video gamey where 
you know, they'll be like on the in the middle of a street sort of thing, like just off to the side. And they see everything that's going on to the left and right of them. But for whatever reason, everyone else on the street just doesn't notice them. There's, you know, they're a little bit further away, but it's just like if one guy just turned his head like, you know, 30 degrees to the left, he would see these 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 five characters standing aside and would go for him. But again, you got to get past that sort of hokey nature. Um and uh, yeah, you know, like it's 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 uh, that one's not bad. I would I would rate that one pretty high on the list. I'm gonna give you a rating of all of them actually when when I'm done reading through them. You still you still with me, Simon? You still with me with the purge, the purge anarchy? Uh, I'm trying here. This is a lot of purge movies. You're you're it's like five minutes per movie here. Let's. Uh... It's not five minutes per movie. Come on. <laughs> Anyways, the Purge election year is the third one. This one has Juliet from Lost. Hold up. Why are they running the Purge again? This is, is this like Jurassic Park? Like, did they not learn from the first Purge? Like, is no. it, are these different Purges or different perspectives of one Purge? No, these are different Purges each time because are they stupid. No, because Simon, Simon, you just don't get it. You just don't get it. No, I don't get yeah. it. You didn't explain the basic premise. The reason why they do this Purge every year. Once a year for 12 hours from 7 p.m. on whatever day to 7 a.m. in the morning, they do the purge because it reduces crime what? to a significant extent outside of purge time. So the premise is like everyone gets crazy during the purge hours, gets out all their anger, all their frustration. So for the rest of the year, no one wants to do crime. Does it make sense? Absolutely not. It's a ridiculous premise. I led with that. But – once you embrace that premise, why would they? Why? Why wouldn't they learn from the fact that people have died? Like, w- w- didn't politicians die in like the first purge? And they're like, you know what? Actually, this is a bad idea. Half of Congress so, is now dead. So I think this is a bad plan. We should change this. So Simon, fun fact: there are specific groups of people that aren't that don't take part in the purge, and most notably. Those people are politicians. Oh, of course. So no politicians take part in the uh, the purge. They get to be set aside. They're exempt. But everyone else is in on it until you get to pur- the purge election year where nobody's safe. Even politicians, they're they're going for it. Now, now why did they do this? Why did they do this to, to themselves? Because Juliet from Lost, her character is running for a uh, a different political party that's separate from the political party that made the purge in the first place and she's arguing the purge isn't a good thing but this other political party's like this bitch has to die she has to die because we want the purge to continue happening so they're all like yeah now everyone can die even politicians so they set up like a crazy coup where it's like all right let's uh let's you know let's have a bunch of security guards around her but then all the security guards turn on her but she escapes because she's she's helped by a a, a character a familiar face that we've seen in a previous movie believe it or not um, but I don't want to spoil who it is because it's part of the of the plot um and uh kind of goes from there that one isn't good uh <laughs> I'll just be blunt uh, I feel like it it kind of brings in that same sort of um, aspect where, you know, characters can just be right out in the open, but for whatever reason, no one notices them unless it's convenient for the plot to move forward. But again, you can you can just get past that. Um, my big issue with the Purge election year, it does these so many of these like annoyingly slow shots. The Purge election year is the longest movie of the like of of the five movies. And it's because they just do all these incredibly slow like scenes where it's like, 
this this five second event has been now spread out into like one minute because for whatever reason they decided to use slow-mo and it's really annoying and that's why the purge election year is is down on my list is down on my list now the first purge which is the fourth in the franchise are you following me simon sort of so the first purge is the fourth movie in the purge franchise not to be confused with the first purge movie it's the first purge that's the fourth movie and in the first purge this one's the best one for sure because it shows the origins of of the purge and it makes a little bit more sense they're like okay you know they go to low-income neighborhoods and say to everyone like hey if you participate in the purge you get five thousand dollars so like all these like low-income you know households are like fuck yeah we're gonna take part in this we're gonna do the purge uh, because we get we get some money um out of it um and this one uh, is really great. This one really dives into like the classism and racism aspect of the entire series. And it is by far the best movie. There's also a bunch of gangster shit spread out throughout the movie. You follow these like gangsters, but they're for whatever reason, some of them are really nice gangsters. And then some of them are just like gangster gangsters and just like shooting people in the face. But like, it's kind of like a plot twist because the gangsters are like, no, nah, we shouldn't take part in the purge. We just got to, you know, be safe. We got to hide our money. Like let's let's just be off to the side while every regular person's like killing each other. So it's like almost a role reversal. Now the gangsters are trying to stay out of crime while everyone else is doing the crime. And uh, I really like the first purge. That one is actually like a genuinely good movie. I'll stand by that one. The first purge, genuinely good movie. You could just watch that one because obviously it's a prequel to the rest of the movies. I thought you said the first one was bad. No, the first purge is the fourth movie in the franchise. Simon, is Not- it actually the first purge? Yes. Okay, so this is the this is year one. Yes, exactly. The purge. Yeah, the first purge was is the year one, fourth movie. Is Ethan Hawke in the year one as well? Is this a different perspective on year one, or was no. Ethan Hawke one technically a year further into the purge purge years? The Ethan Hawke one was met like a like a few years into the purges. There's already been understood a bunch of purges. Okay, excellent. Now the first purge, which is the fourth movie again, is the first purge that ever took place. Understood. Okay, fine. Exactly. And yeah, again, really good movie. I really like that one. It's genuinely uh, it's genuinely a good time. And then finally, after I watched all those four movies, I went to the theater. I watched The Forever, the Forever Purge. Uh, it was a pretty fun time. This one is definitely the most self-aware in its like hokey nature. It follows like um, illegal Mexican immigrants, actually, that are in like the United States in the South. Um, and, you know, like they're working for um like you know like this rich white family like the main character is and all of that sort of stuff uh it has the uh one of the main characters from army of uh, army of the dead i forget her name uh but the girl um who's like dave batista's like love interest in army of the dead she's one of the main characters in this and this one again it gets super wacky they go all in on the white supremacy angle this time around and uh it's a fun time like i really enjoyed it uh and it's super corny but again it's the self-awareness of that movie makes it a fun time and makes it good. Literally one of the main characters is like this, you know, rich white dude um, that at the beginning of the movie, you know, he's kind of like this racist guy sort of thing. But as the movie progresses, he realizes that, you know, just cause you're a different race doesn't mean that you're a bad guy. And they kind of going on, on that and it's incredibly corny and ridiculous, but again, really fun time. I really liked it. Um, so if I were to rate the purge movies in order, I would say the first purge, which is the fourth movie is number one. 
by, I would say, a mile. And then I liked number two, which is The Purge Anarchy. Number three would be The Forever Purge. In fourth place would be the third movie, The Purge uh, Election Year. And then in last place is the first Purge movie, The Purge, in last place. And that's my uh, Purge ranking movie system. My, my Purge ranking. Thank you for tuning in. Oh, oh, you're done? Oh, good. You're a bully. That's not nice. They, um, the amount of times they say purge in these purge movies is actually ridiculous. Like it's upwards. Yeah. Of, maybe it rivals the number of times you've just said it. Yeah. No, it's not. Dude, they say it like at least a hundred times with the five movies combined, if not even more, like at the very least a hundred times. It's so much like, oh, we're going to purge because they use it as like, you know, like a verb. They use it as a noun. It's a, it's a whole thing. Excellent. Good stuff though. Good stuff. Yeah. Anyways, I guess I'll go into the last uh, two of, of three movies I watched. I watched two more movies. Uh, the next one is Happy Death Day to You. It's a sequel to Happy Death Day. Um, pretty much the premise is it's like a kind of a Groundhog Day style. It's this college uh, university girl that uh, she gets murdered. And every time she gets murdered, she wakes up and starts the day over. Um, Happy Death Day to You just doubles down on that. Um sort of premise and add some interesting, almost like multiversal elements to the thing. And again, very self-aware. It's incredibly funny. That's more of a comedy than a thriller. I really like it. Um, I highly recommend the happy death day uh, movies, both of them. They're really good. They're just, they're just a fun time. Not only are they, you know, thrilling, but they are genuinely funny because they are meant to be. Um, and I really appreciate that. Um, have you watched any of the Happy Death Day movies? I have not. Oh. I would recommend, like I just said, four times. It's a good time. Uh, but yeah, both movies are directed by Christopher Landon. And after I finished Happy Death Day 2, I was like, I want to I watch something similar in tone, like another like murder, you know, horror movie, but still kind of a comedy. So I watched Christopher Landon's most recent movie, which is called Freaky. Um, that movie stars uh, Vince Vaughn and... Um, uh, Catherine Newton as the two main characters and the premise is essentially freaky Friday. Uh, so like, you know, these two characters, they switch bodies. However, Vince Vaughn is a uh, murderer. So he goes into Catherine Newton's body and starts murdering people as her. And then Catherine Newton is, you know, like this, this high school girl and goes into Vince Vaughn's body. And it's, it's a really fun time. It's, it's, uh, very well done. It's absolutely hilarious. Again, it knows exactly what it is. There was a couple of moments in the movie where I could not, like, I was literally laughing for, like, five minutes straight. Um, Bear McCreary actually does the music for Freaky, so the music is really great as well. Um, Bear McCreary, I know him best because he does the God of War uh, soundtrack, uh, the most recent reboot, but he, he's done a bunch of other stuff. And, uh, yeah, that's, a, again, a really good watch. Uh, I'm going to keep it brief. But God of War listener, God of War listener is a video game, not a movie. Adrian's making video game references without that any con you know context. Yeah, I apologize to Kenneth Saddlebauer for referencing video games. Um, but yeah, out of those nine movies I watched, I would definitely say Freaky is the best of the nine. Happy Death Day to You is uh, the second, and then um, I'm not going to rate the other seven. I've already rated the the five Purge movies. I'm not going to fold in the Escape Room movies. Yeah, that's it. That's it. That's all. That's nine out of the ten movies I watched. What have you watched, Simon? Are you sure that's all the movies? You you can keep going if you've got more more movies you watched. You know, 
I said nine out of the ten movies. I'm gonna I'm gonna let you. Did you uh, watch any cool commercials on TV or uh, maybe you know you watch any YouTube videos like about two minutes long or anything like I that? I want you to know. I just want you to know if there was a purge, I'd go straight to your fucking house. You understand? I go straight to your goddamn house. That's uh, very impolite. It's not nice. It's not very nice. Anyways, I uh, I watched a movie that uh, I feel like I can relate to more now because of how long I've heard you now go on about these nine movies that you've been watching this week. Uh, and the movie's called Old. Um, it's a uh, M. Night Shyamalan movie. We watched it in theaters in the same movie theater in, in, in Guelph, Ontario, in, in a cineplex. And um, I would say that... Um, most of the theater didn't like the movie, and I don't think you like the movie either. But it's again, M. Night Shyamalan's latest flick, his latest movie, Old. Adrian, do you want to take it away? This movie is absolutely awful. It's shockingly bad. It is a really cool. I'm going to give you an analogy, all right? So imagine the idea of this movie is a very nice plate. So there's a really wonderful plate you're like oh my god this plate is so good i can't wait to eat on it and then a bunch of shit gets poured on it huh interesting analogy that's what the that's that's what old is that's what it is it's a cool premise with one of the worst executions i've ever seen in my goddamn life i would genuinely say it is the worst movie i've seen all year by a mile and i watched 47 meters down um which is a really bad movie and it is just shockingly bad. It's badly written. I think the actors, although there's some like pretty great actors in it, can't act. I I think about you know, um, the Star Wars prequel movies, where the writing is very bad. So even amazing actors like Natalie Portman seem to do a bad job. In those movies, because again, the writing is just really bad. Like, how do you act that? And that's the exact same way I felt watching this old movie. The dialogue is just so poorly written. It seems so, I mean, the premise itself is unrealistic, but it feels like this is not how people would react in the situation that they're put in. It feels like a bunch of ideas almost strung together. So like almost like a scrapbook, but this scrapbooks ma- makes literally no sense and it doesn't look good or work well together. It's a bad movie. And uh, I, I at multiple times in the movie laughed out loud because of how ridiculous some of the shit was in the movie. And it's not meant to be funny. It's not. There's like one scene in particular that I know is meant to be like terrifying and very unsettling. And there are people behind me um, that just started bursting out laughing at the same time I started bursting out laughing at how ridiculous it was. And it's honestly my favorite scene in the movie. <laughs> uh, but the, not for the reasons M. Night Shyamalan would probably want it to be. Um, but yeah, that's my thoughts on old. What do you think about this freaking movie, man? It's the best damn movie I've ever seen. Hello, Adrian. Are you there? You're a goddamn liar. I know it. Yeah, I'm a liar. I'm a liar. It's not true. It's not a good movie. Yeah. It's funny. It's, uh, 
Yeah, you, you said it. I think you hit it on the nose with your description. I don't know. I don't know about that plate analogy. It was a little weird, but um, the the concept of the premise is quite good. Uh, and if you think about it again, the, you, if you've seen the trailer, basically these people are premature aging for some reason on this beach, and that's kind of the concept of it's called old, so it's perfect. Yeah. So like that's that's it. And the actress in this, as you mentioned, like they're good. Like uh, like from like uh, Gail uh, Garcia Bernal, as for instance, like I've seen quite a few things. I haven't seen Vicky Cripps, who plays Prisca, in much to be honest. But Rufus Sewell is is pretty great. Now, uh, like Alex Wolf, um, who's in like a ton of horror movies lately, like Hereditary is an example. And yeah, he's also in Jumanji. He is, and I think he's good in both of those movies, especially good in in Hereditary, I'd argue. And oh yeah, Thomasin Thomasin McKenzie, who's also in. Uh, Jojo Rabbit is a good example too because they're in the movie a lot. It's just crazy to me that these great actors were able – like they just sound terrible. And I, and I I don't know why I'm saying it's crazy to me because I, I know why this is. And I said this about Christian – Hayden Christensen. Hayden Christensen, I've said this before. I don't think that Hayden Christensen is the worst actor ever. I think that his lines that George Lucas wrote for him are not good in – Attack of the Clones. And as he's training to be a better actor in uh, in the Revenge of the Sith film, his second outing as Anakin Skywalker, he does a way better job. I don't think the dialogue necessarily got better. But Ewan McGregor in both of the films, I think, knocks it out of the park in terms of just translating any dialogue he does into something amazing because he's just an amazing actor that arguably could act out the phone book. And so... I think that actually, funny enough, like Alex Wolf did an okay job compared to everyone else in the cast. Maybe you could say that, but I also think he had the least cringy dialogue out of, <laughs> out of everyone. Like some of the dialogue is just ridiculous. Like there's one moment in the movie in which there's like somebody is is helped out by a doctor, which happens a lot. So I'm really not spoiling anything. But then she sits up, and then she says, "Guy, I feel." so much better. <laughs> I'm just yeah. like, what is wrong with the dialogue here? There's a moment where they're like trying to go through like this, this cave and then they, they black out and it literally the, the, the movie fades to black and then pops back in and they're all laying on the beach and they black out on the beach. And it just, it made me and my girlfriend laugh. Like it was just like, there's no, there's no way they were going for this angle, but the dialogue is the biggest problem overall. It just makes no sense. It doesn't sound like real people talking. No, not at all. They're just not real people, but they should be. And that's the issue is they don't seem, they're not saying things that people would say. There's like, yeah, I don't understand. Like there's so many actors in this that I've seen in other places and I know how good they can act. Like, it's. I feel like it would be natural to think that they're bad, but it's just not them. Like they just couldn't do much with the dialogue, and I think that also it depends on the director as well. Like even if you have bad dialogue, you can potentially turn it into maybe good dialogue by getting them getting them to emote in a way that you kind of want. And I feel like in this case, they might have been pushed down a rabbit hole that uh, Shyamalan wanted that they ne- wouldn't necessarily instinctually have acted. So again, I don't really blame the actors at all, but it's it's just a weird thing that M. Night Shyamalan is so hit and miss with so many of his movies, and it's often dialogue that I find is is just jarring. Even like honestly, in Unbreakable, in Glass, less so in Split, funny enough, but um, like just the dialogue in those two movies, I just I find that they're cringy too, and 
those are the movies I watched most recently by him. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't know what it is. I don't know why it's so rough. I love the concept. Even the twist was actually really cool. And then some of the dialogue actually makes sense. It feels like these characters could be real people. Mm-hmm. But it, it, so much of it is like maybe 80% of it is just like what no one would say it like that. It's just so puzzling. Puzzling. <laughs> it, it's actually – it's weird because the concept is so good. Some of the shots are so good that I even – I feel like I remember certain aspects of that film and, and the creepiness of it, the eeriness of it. I mean, obviously, I remember it. We're recording this podcast the day after watching the movie, but I mean more like the movie impressed on me a certain feeling that made me kind of think today again about the movie we watched yesterday, which is interesting for a movie that we consider not good. There's even mo- like I actually don't think it's completely awful because of how, how it's shot in certain aspects and certain elements of what they actually are trying to do. What M. Night Shyamalan is trying to do is actually quite good. And, and like, it's so weird. It's just so strange how I don't have any mixed feelings on it because I think it is legitimately a bad movie. But mm-hmm. um, it's much better than, for instance, The Happening, which I think is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. So anyway, yeah, it's disappointing to say the least. It is a 55% of Rotten Tomatoes, 50% of fifty percent or 51% audience score as well. So I feel like yeah. we're not in the minority on this one. Yeah, it's it's odd that it's even that high. Like, it's kind of shocking to me because I, I do agree with you. Like, I had the vibe that everyone in our theater thought it was a bad movie. There wasn't a crazy amount of people, but it just like there was this almost weird feeling that no one was enjoying the, their time there. And eventually, like at a certain point, people just started laughing at the movie because it's like, how do you make this an enjoyable time? You make it into a comedy. I think about one of his movies that I watched uh, not too long ago, like last year at some point. It's called The Visit where it's about, you know, these uh, two kids that go visit their grandparents uh, and the entire movie is like filmed mockumentary style. And it's it's not a good movie. Like, it's actually really like just not a great movie at all. And the dialogue is just not not good whatsoever. But very early into the movie, I was just like, I can make this a fun time. And I just started laughing at how ridiculous the dialogue is and how how ridiculous some of the shots were and what these characters were doing that made absolutely no sense. And I don't know, that's kind of what I would recommend. If you are going to watch this movie, I do not recommend it. But if you are going to watch this movie, go into it and be prepared to laugh at its ridiculousness because I don't think you can enjoy it any other way. And I'm confused that 55% of critics think it's a pass as opposed to a fail because for me it is definitely a failure of a movie and it's one of those situations where i'm like how the hell does m night Shyamalan? how is he still allowed to make movies i feel like he has more misses than hits i do really love split i really love un- i actually really like unbreakable i do kind of agree with you yeah the dialogue's a little bit cringy at parts but i enjoy that movie and not like this though not I even mean, close not like this. and you got so many characters in this movie yeah. and you have to pull them together so it's like that's the thing. There's so much dialogue in this film. Yeah, and I, I, I would even say like glasses. Like I really liked glass up until the last like 15 minutes of the movie, where it just gets, where it's like a twist for twist's sake, and it just makes absolutely no sense whatsoever, and it's the dumbest ending of a movie I've ever seen in my goddamn life. Um, but yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. Um, this is almost like reverse glass, where the entire movie is not good, but the ending is kind of like, oh, okay. That's a, that's a neat idea as opposed to Glass where it's like, I thought it was a pretty good movie until the ending where I'm like, this is a bad ending. You know what I'm saying? 
Yes, I do follow you. That's a good call out. Good call on that one. Again, I wanted to like it. And it's funny, like going in, you're you're kind of right, I think. Like if you could go in with the concept that this is a ridiculous, it's going to be ridiculous. Like there's there's elements that you can, they're salvageable. And I think that's that's why there's 55% of critics potentially like it is that it's it's salvageable. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like there, it's not the worst thing in the world. Like I, I wonder always with, with movie theaters in general, it, it kind of brings out that concept of the, the willingness or the, the want of human beings to belong. And so when we go into a movie theater and people in the movie theater are not feeling a movie, everyone around us feels that. Like your spouse sitting next to you or whatever, you get that. You get that idea that they're not liking it. The people laughing behind you, they're not liking it. And then everyone kind of collectively feels that same way. It's a weird thing. If you'd watch this alone at home, it might have changed your perspective. You didn't necessarily love the visit. 51% same score of audiences didn't like the visit um, as well as 51% of audiences on Rotten Tomatoes, at least that score, didn't like old. So like, there's a concept there that, I mean, maybe it's the theater kind of transformed it for for you in some way too. I, I try to be try to be unbiased. I think you do as well, but it's just one of those things. I, I feel like we do get a little bit swayed by who we're watching it with because we're human and mm-hmm. we have empathy <laughs> for our fellow moviegoers, but um, it's rough. <laughs> that's that's what I would say. And it, it, there's a lot that it has going for it, but it just, the dialogue is the most, some of the most cringy dialogue I've ever seen in a movie. And um, it's not unique to this movie. It's just, it, Yeah. It's unfortunate because the actors that they that M. Night Shyamalan pulled together for this film are quite high caliber mm-hmm. from what I've seen of them in the past. So, anyways, that's that's my two cents. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Cool. Alrighty, did you watch any other movies or that's it, man. That's ten. That's ten out of ten, baby. No way. We did all of them. That's incredible. Not 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 old. Old is a one out of ten, but I watched ten out of ten movies. We we just talked about ten out of ten movies. One out of ten. Would you go so far as to say that old is the worst movie you've ever seen? Mm. You said this year. To be specific. Oh, I don't know about ever seen. I mean, I watched The Circle. Was <laughs> the last week that you talked about The Circle? I think so. I feel like The Circle doesn't come up enough enough on this. Like I feel like the again the the benchmark the the low water mark for for bad movies is when you, you know, you open up your trunk and you throw a bagel. Yeah. You throw a bagel against the wall of the movie theater. It's the X-Men apocalypse effect, as I like to call it. Yeah, the X-Men apocalypse effect. But I think you would say that the circle was like triple, triple thrown bagels from the back of your trunk. I lit, so. I lit my trunk on fire after the circle. It was that bad. Yeah, you lit that bagel in your trunk on, fi- on, on fire. For some reason, you just have bagels with cream cheese in your trunk at any given time. Mm-hmm. Anyway, okay. Well, let's move on to the news, shall we? Okay. Excellent. Psych! Let's begin with this. It's very rude. It's very rude, okay? I let you speak for a long time here. And uh, now you're interrupting me as I go into the news. Our audience has places to go, Adrian. Oh my you know God. what? Okay, get on it, dude. Dennis, Jesus Christ. Dennis in Massachusetts, he just arrived at his dentist's office, but he's waiting for this episode to finish before he goes in. So you need to respect Dennis's time, Okay. That's all I'm saying. Let's begin with a small collection of more focused stories that have been particularly pertinent this week. Number one, as publication Deadline reports, Network AMC has officially settled with The Walking Dead season one showrunner Frank Darabont after an eight-year legal battle. 
Frank Darabont was suing AMZ over what he believed was a breach of contract over owed profits for the entirety of the Walking Dead TV series and its spin-offs. Darabont ultimately had little to do creatively with The Walking Dead since he was fired after the start of production for the second season of the series in 2011. This past week, Darabont received $200 million from the overall settlement deal, and the terms of the aforementioned contract are no longer valid, meaning that Darabont will no longer be receiving any compensation in association with the rights to any of the licensed The Walking Dead properties. Oddly enough, in AMC's recent first quarter earnings call, AMC executives had claimed that the company would end 2021 with $200 million in profit. However, after their SEC filing denoting the $200 million Darabont lawsuit payout, they noted that the company will likely only break even (laughs) in 2021. That's funny. AMC's final and 11th season of The Walking Dead will begin airing on August 22nd. 2021. Adrian, tell me, what do you think? What do you make of this AMC Frank Darabont lawsuit? Um, Well, Simon, this is pretty wild stuff. I find it absolutely hilarious that they just broke even because they had to give them $200 million. Well, they might break even. I mean, these are estimates for the end of 2021. Yeah. I mean, they could make more or could make less. It depends. It's a pandemic, so it's hard to estimate. Mm -hmm. But... That's what they estimate. Yeah, I don't know. I, I find that uh, quite interesting. I know you were a really big fan of the first season of The Walking Dead, and you were hoping that we did get more Frank Darabont seasons. But obviously- I just like Frank Darabont, yeah. to be honest. I, I think Shank, Shawshank Redemption and is a great movie, and I think, think some people believe it's one of the greatest movies ever made. Mm-hmm. So It is a really great movie. I, I do love that movie. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I kind of, I find this interesting. It's so nuts that this has been like an eight year legal battle. Like it just took so long to have a resolution. And then I'm, I'm happy for Frank Darabont for, uh, getting, I guess what he's been owed, which is a lot of freaking money, a fifth of a billion dollars. That's nuts. It's a weird situation though, to be, to be Frank, um, pun intended. <laughs> um, I, it's weird. There's some emails in which they're like, he's like threatening to kill people with a brick and stuff that were leaked as well during the course of these lawsuits. See, Simon, that's why we need a purge. That's why we need the purge. So we don't do these threats. We release all our ang- anger in a 12 hour time slot. Yeah, right. And then he would have killed the, the person he was talking about mm. in that email. Yeah. And that would have been better. Uh, I don't know. I, uh, but uh, yeah, the thing is, it's a weird situation because, like, they really didn't like him over there. They were claiming that he was uh, not completing his duty as showrunner. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much of it is true. This claims that he, you know, he hasn't really run a show before and uh, he couldn't take the stress. And then on on his side, there, he was basically saying, "You're not following my creative vision. You're trying to do whatever you want." Somebody was apparently trying to sabotage his set. He was saying that somebody was extremely unprofessional and they mm-hmm. were not doing what they were supposed to be doing uh, for season two. He asked for more budget. They just didn't give more budget. That was it seemed to be the real reason why there was a lot of tensions rising for season two is because he asked for a larger budget and they, they failed to give that to him, mm-hmm. which is ridiculous because that shows like one of the great – like in terms of making money, I feel like that show has made a tremendous amount of money for AMC. So that's a little stupid. Mm-hmm. But anyway um, – yeah, it's a weird thing. We don't know quite who's right in this situation. So it's not ni- nice and neat and tidy. Um, I do like Frank Darabont. I would wonder what an, you know season two, three, four would have looked like with Frank Darabont because he had a very slow and deliberate vision for season one. And that's what I appreciated about mm-hmm. it. But anyway. 
Yeah, I know I'm in the minority. Like, I really like season two of The Walking Dead. It's actually one of my favorite uh, seasons. And I think the low budget aspect where they couldn't really do much. It was just a lot of character building. Um, I really loved season two um, because of that. Look, I, look, and, man, I, I like season two, too. But that has no indication two, of two. what Frank Darabont's. <laughs> Uh, stamp would have been on no like that doesn't yeah, really no, determine anything yeah i know but uh i'm just saying like uh it, it is probably my favorite season of the show so who knows i'm curious whether or not it would have been better or worse you you would imagine with a name like frank darabont attached it would have probably been, been better but i guess we'll never really know unfortunately now there's a couple of interesting things about uh this whole uh rigmarole as well and like kind of i know like some of the ideas that frank darabont had because sam whitwer spoke about it um sam whitwer being an actor he's in um i the the tv series like being human he plays um one of these like i think the main character in star wars force unleashed he actually played the main character which is a video game by the way star wars force unleashed is a video game sorry ken um and he played the main character in uh, another PlayStation exclusive game called Days Gone, which is also on PC now, I guess. Um, so, you know, he's been around and uh, he mentioned uh, that in The Walking Dead, he's actually the zombie in the tank at the end of the first episode uh, slash beginning of the second episode of the series. And there was a plan in season two for them to do an episode that was like a prequel uh, that same what were described as Black Hawk Down meets zombies, where it would uh, you know, follow Sam Whitworth's character during the beginning of the apocalypse, kind of running through it. You know, there would be some crossover with the with the main ca- cast of characters, and it would the episode would essentially end with him, you know, getting into the tank with this grenade he was planning on blowing himself up. But instead of blowing himself up, he just sets the grenade aside and uh, dies um, in the tank. And the episode was supposed to end with him dying, and then cut to Rick climbing in the tank and showing that whole aspect again uh, from the pilot episode, the end of the pilot episode going from there. And uh, Sam Whitwer really expressed his disappointment and his kind of anger and frustration um, at AMC in this interview. This interview was posted many, many years ago. If you just look up like Sam uh, Whitwer walking dead, you can find the interview and he he expresses his anger and frustration talks about like, how he's uh, you know a fan of Frank Darabont. He's friends with Frank Darabont, and he felt like what AMC did to Frank Darabont, uh, Frank Darabont was unjustified and uh, unacceptable, frankly. And obviously, we didn't get to see that sort of episode happen. That this this prequel, like this story about this random army man um, with his grenade that you know Rick uses to escape, and and essentially because of his actions, technically saves Rick's life. Um, and yeah, he was talking about how upset he was about that. And, uh, I feel like that would have been a cool sort of, uh, episode to see, but again, we don't know what else Frank Darabont was planning going forward. That's really the only thing that I know that was in the cards for season two. Um, so I don't know. I, I think that's kind of interesting, but, and, and a little unfortunate we didn't get it, but even then I'm kind of. I don't know. I'm kind of iffy on prequels like here and there. Like sometimes I really like them. Sometimes I don't. And it's just like we don't necessarily have to see a prequel for absolutely everything or know the story behind everything. But again, that idea itself seems just like a pretty neat idea. Sorry, prequel for for what? Wait, I'm confused. Like the prequel. Prequel? Yeah, like the story of that guy in the tank, Sam Whitworth's character in the tank. Because it's technically – We got that anyway. Fear of the Walking Dead exists. 
Oh, I'm confused. No, like we, for, we got this whole spin. They literally created a whole spinoff series to show the beginning of the, the the Walking Dead pandemic. Like they they clearly planned by putting Sam Witwer in the tank because it's literally Sam Witwer, Witwer in that first episode. Mm-hmm. They clearly planned to create a flashback. Like yeah, like Lost. I think Lost goes back multiple. Every episode they go back with flashbacks or I mean sometimes flash forwards. It kind of depends. Mm-hmm. And I think that they – I don't know. Lost was kind of ending or had ended just as The Walking Dead started. So I think that maybe Frank Darabont was pulling some inspiration from that and then it was a show that was popular that had flashbacks. You know, he's been doing this for a long time with movies and again, he's not hes not shy to, to put a flashback in his movies. So like I feel like that, that would be – I don't know. I think he just had a plan to show more off – for these characters by flashing back. I wouldn't necessarily call it a prequel. Is that is that what you meant or maybe no, I'm no, mistaken? Like he, no, like Sam Whitworth literally calls a, a prequel in his in in the interview like when he's talking about it. Oh, yeah. oh, interesting. Okay, well it's just a, it would just it would just have been an episode, right? Yeah, exactly. It wasn't going to be a entire show. No, no, oh, no, okay. no. Yeah, it's just like an one episode prequel sort of spin-off sort of thing. I like that stuff when it comes to The Walking Dead especially because it started so far after like the, the Walking Dead started pretty far after the start of that whole thing with the zombies in the first place because mm-hmm. it's following Rick so closely. So, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's crazy that this is uh, – that's a lot of money, $200 million. But he was making profits basically for the Fear the Walking Dead and for The Walking Dead, I think, where he was owed profits anyways. So, like, it had to stop somewhere. Either they were going to lose the lawsuit and, I guess, keep paying him or – um, just settle with him and just give him two hundred million dollars and, and get out of there. Mm-hmm. I, I guess that was the plan. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting stuff. Um, Walking Dead season ten goes out on Netflix, I believe, on July twenty sixth. So when this episode drops to um, everyone listening on Netflix here in Canada, at least. So briefly, in, de- in defense of Frank Darabont as well, there's a clear representation of potentially AMC not knowing what the heck they're doing just because they've changed the showrunners up like 10 times. Mm-hmm. So actually I, I kind of was thinking, Oh, you know, there's two sides of the story, but ultimately like how did they switch the showrunner that many times? Like you have a show like the blacklist it's run for what, what is it now? Eight seasons. It's the same showrunner the entire way through. Like how, how do you even manage that? It, it's remarkable to me that such a high, like, ranking show in terms of like ratings like people watching it viewership can have that many showrunners like just get your shit together like who would not want to like for as in terms of the creators who would not want to be still a part of that show as the showrunner maybe it's stressful but like it it just seems very strange Mm -hmm. um anyway odd what an odd situation super odd Alrighty then number two as publication variety reports the third party trade organization known as the vab v-a-b which represents the interests of Disney, Fox Corp, CBS, and NBC, among others, is currently pushing for the removal of the accreditation of Nielsen Ratings. Nielsen Ratings is a company that specifically tracks cable programming viewership and is governed by the U.S. government's auditing organization, the MRC. The MRC specifically audits companies that measure media to ensure proper standards are met. Ultimately, Advertisers rely heavily on Nielsen ratings to determine which TV programming they should rent out space for their ads. The VAB specifically sent a 10-page letter to the MRC auditors claiming that Nielsen ratings was grossly underrepresenting viewership during the pandemic. One claim by this letter specifically states that due to COVID, Nielsen refused to go into homes to repair faulty tracking equipment. A Nielsen ratings representative responded to these allegations by saying that, quote, 
we are fully committed to returning to pre-COVID operations and are working closely with and through the MRC to address any outstanding issues and requests and are committed to their process concerning accreditation. But the VAB snapped back by claiming that Nielsen Ratings has lately been well known for a lack of transparency. Ultimately, the VAB believes that the only course of action is to strip Nielsen Ratings of its heavy influence on the marketing agencies. Adrian, what are you thinking about this? Well, Simon, I'm thinking VAB is right in this case. The Nielsen Ratings is this archaic sort of system that was made prior to streaming and all of this sort of stuff. And I just don't think uh, I don't think it has much to do with anything anymore. It, it just doesn't it's not hip with the times, for lack of a better term. I just don't I don't think it serves much of a purpose anymore. Unfortunately, I would argue maybe not the vast majority, but I, I, at this point, I would assume the majority of people tend to watch things on streaming services versus just like on network television and stuff like that. So I don't know. I find this uh, I find this interesting it's the nielsen ratings just seems again like this very archaic system system and i'm surprised that it's even around anymore i don't know about you like what do you think about this uh i think there's still enough people with cable subscriptions honestly i think that uh, i don't know where i saw this stat was it in this article by the by variety or not but there was like it's over 50 percent of people in the u.s still are are using cable subscriptions to watch their content so Mm -hmm. it's not actually that crazy that nielsen ratings would be valuable to to advertisers i just think that nielsen ratings ultimately like the problem is that they're not again being transparent they're not they weren't sending people in like repair people to fix the to fix the issues with the tracking boxes in their homes they're not there there was problems with um apparently they were tracking houses that in which the patrons in the house houses they actually left because of covid they went to like their cottage or something like that and they were living there or, or they moved to a different state where they have another house because they they realize that it's not safe in the place that they usually live. Mm. And they were tracking the boxes in those houses as people watching, which doesn't make any sense because they just aren't there. So apparently that was a problem too. Like were those boxes just running in the background? Like were they? I don't understand this. This is a weird thing that I've always wondered about. When I look up Nielsen ratings and, and look up how that system works, apparently there's stuff that runs like the box kind of runs over the cable box or the technology runs over it to track the what they're watching. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you have to be volunteering for that process or not. I'm not. I've always wondered how that exactly works. It does seem archaic in that regard. It's like who who is still doing this? Like we're like everyone should be on Wi-Fi at this point and streaming. But it, it, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's an odd thing. Mm-hmm. But, but apparently, again, there was faulty tracking equipment, but because of COVID, it was unsafe to go into homes. So they just didn't, like these technicians. So they kind of just flubbed the numbers in general? No, they didn't make them up. They just, the, the boxes didn't track properly. And then they were just like, okay, we're just going to trust the, the box is what it's doing. Mm, trusting technology. It is, you're right. It, it's, it's archaic in the fact that they don't seem to be getting with the times, but they can't really get it with the times because. Companies like Netflix, as an example, don't advertise their numbers. Even Disney, they have to choose when they're going to tell you how many people watched Black Widow, as an example, or rented it through Premier Access. That's mm. something that they advertise on them on their own. Um, and Netflix is doing the same thing. They'll they'll talk to their shareholders and say, "Hey, the movie Extraction with uh, Chris Hemsworth did very well. It, it was amazing. It was the best movie we've ever had on the service at, for that time, whatever." And they're and they can say that, but they're arguably they're just trying to build up hype for the shareholders. They're not really 
they're not tracking it like Nielsen ratings has to like show out, like give, give out the numbers to the world to say, Hey, we're the best. Mm-hmm. ABC is the best network. You know, we're, we're doing it. Nielsen ratings can track that. And so that's, it's interesting because there's, there's no regulatory tracking that happens with the streaming services, but there's also less purpose for it because Netflix doesn't have ads. So like, why do you need to track mm-hmm. how many people are watching uh, Ozark? You know what I mean? Like, great for Netflix. Netflix needs to know, and they have that data, and it's important to them. But for advertisers, that they don't need, they can't advertise on Amazon Prime Video. So, what's the difference? Yeah, I guess that's a good point. But uh, yeah, they're just they're trying to say it's antiquated. They're they're, they're not going to remove Nielsen Rings won't cease to exist if they succeed with this uh, with the MRC. Um, it seems like it's just going to be they again the accreditation will be removed, and then they just won't be as reputable. So advertisers will have to choose other means to determine uh, why they should advertise on Grey's Anatomy as an example on TV or it's a good show. Uh, the Super Bowl. Um, but anyway, uh, so yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of a neat thing, but uh, it's kind of, it's kind of weird. We, we did talk about this. We talked about this with the Oscars, how it's so impo- mm-hmm. possible to watch the Oscars. You have to have like a stupid cable subscription to watch them. It's so dumb. That's something we didn't talk about last week. Actually, Paramount plus is hosting the Emmys, Oh, which is amazing. We, I did mention that on the write-up for last week. We just didn't get around to talking about yeah. it. But they're they're putting it's on a streaming service. That's neat because Paramount Plus is CBS and and CBS is hosting the Emmys. So it's um it's a, it's a that's what the way it should be. But there's nobody representing, I guess, the Oscars. Although a, the Oscars are usually on ABC, which is owned by Disney, so it should be on Disney Plus on like Star. You'd hope so. So maybe this year, this coming, I should say, not this year, but next Oscars, they might be on a streaming service. It's possible. Yeah, fingers crossed. Considering again, like Nielsen ratings, like, shit on the Oscars, like it, it was an awful. Like we talked about the Nielsen ratings reports for the Oscars, they went down what fifty percent or something like that. It's like okay, yeah, something ri- ridiculous. Yeah, but and then we we questioned who's watching it on cable though. Mm-hmm. So like it's fine, but <laughs> it, it doesn't seem relevant. Like especially this year in the pandemic, like more people than ever, arguably, are qu- cable cutting because of. The, the rise of streaming services of like HBO Max, NBC's Peacock, like they all came up out of the woodwork. So I don't know. Again, they, they just need to get with the times. Roku channel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Quibi, rest in peace. Quick bites. Stupid name. That's why it failed. I don't know about that. I don't know about that, Adrian. <laughs> I don't know about that. All right. Number three, according to tech website, The Verge, Warner Media CEO, Jason Kalar announced via the AT&T earnings call that 10 of the 2022 slated Warner Brothers films are planned for release on HBO Max simultaneously as in theaters. To speak to this decision, Kalar said, quote, I certainly don't anticipate us going back to the way the world was in 2015 or 16 or 17, where windows were quite lengthy between theatrical and home exhibition, whether it was an a la carte transaction or something else, unquote. As you may remember, all 2021 Warner Brothers films, including Dune, Suicide Squad, Matrix 4, and Adrian's favorite movie, Space Jam, were set to premiere in theaters alongside a day and date HBO Max streaming premiere. In the spring of this year, it had been announced that Warner Brothers would go back to a 45-day theatrical exclusivity window with many films from its 2022 film slate. For clarity, the breadth of the Warner Brothers 2022 release lineup is currently unknown, but it is key to note that Warner Brothers plans to release a total of 17 films, and they've released most of them, in 2021. Mm. Adrian, what do you make of this news? This sucks. This kind of pisses me off. 
it feels like double like it feels like they're walking back what they what they said they were gonna do and it's kind of unfortunate and him just saying like we're not gonna go back to the way the world was in 2015 2016 2017 whatever why not why can't we go back to the way the world was i love movie theaters and i again we've We've talked about this to death. Like, I don't want movie theaters to go out of business for little things like this. And I think Black Widow was a big sign of, hey, like Disney can make a shit ton of money from people by doing direct to consumer through their Disney Plus streaming service. And for whatever reason, people are willing to pay that 35 bucks. I'm not, but people are. And it's super unfortunate in in terms of Warner Brothers with HBO Max, like, they're not doing the premiere access. They're simply just putting those movies on their service. Not yet. Exactly. That's what I was just about to segue into. Like they, they know that they can charge this extra $35 if they want to, and people will pay for it's been it. Proven. It's been proven in another spot of the industry. Exactly. And and you've said this, like Disney, they are the trend makers. They're one of the biggest companies in the world. And what they do has a huge effect on every other company and how every other company runs their business. And um, this is just not a good sign. It, it feels like the end, not necessarily the end. I'm being very you know pessimistic and, and, and just like the world's ending sort of thing. But it feels like the end of theaters is kind of in sight if this continues to go the way it is like how many people really love the movie theater going experience at least enough to, you know, keep it in business. Hell man, I went four times in the span of eight days, but even that, like I'm one person, that's not enough to keep theaters in business. I don't know. It's uh, this is unfortunate. This is kind of a bummer and I'm tired of it. I'm tired of all this lame ass shit and people being like, get with the times. No, I don't want to get with the times. I'm going to be the the grumpy curmudgeon. I want theaters to be around forever. I love this theater going experience. I want to be, you know, 58 years old going to the theaters with my pals. I want to be 97 years old going to the theaters with my wheelchair. You know what I mean? Like I I want to be able to get into theaters and I don't want them to to close down. Yeah, that's fair. The, um, I don't know about getting with the times. Like, again, there's still a place for theaters. It's just not... You don't have this in your home. I know that you want to believe that you do, listener, but you don't. I mean, you might. I mean, you, maybe if you've got like, you make millions of dollars a year. Maybe if you're Ethan Hawke for the purge. Yeah, you've got, uh, you know, you got that whole, you know, got that Sony projector in your house mm-hmm. with the, the, the pull down screen or the automatic roll screen. That's possible. Mm-hmm. It's possible. I still argue that it's, it's a better experience to see things socially with other people. And um, I don't want to talk about it too much because, I, you know, you went on about 10 movies for an hour. But um, I also watched A Quiet Place this week, and uh, I didn't watch it in theaters, and I kind of regret it. And it's because I watched this clip. There was a clip on social media of John Krasinski. I think it was talking to an interviewer for Cineplex, and there was he was basically saying that this movie is very much about community um, and the concept of of community and to, to watch it with other people in the same, same theater environment – is impactful for the themes, like thematically, the, the way the movie operates. So it went on streaming services, it went on Amazon Prime, and I ended up just watching it there. And yeah, I mean, I've gone once a week now to the movie theaters for the last two weeks, but I kind of feel a little bit guilty for not you should. supporting A Quiet Place. You should. You're part of the problem, um, Simon. You're part of the goddamn problem. You look, man, you watched it in your car. 
And I don't think that that's how John Krasinski wanted you to watch it either, to be honest. I think that might be worse. It was still as a community. You know how many cars were in that parking lot, You Simon? couldn't see. No, the idea is what I was talking about earlier with old. You could hear people laughing behind you. You could hear people like talking like, and, and, and you could get that idea that they didn't like the movie. That would be similar to the gasps and the kind of – you can hear people fidgeting in the theaters. That's the idea. You cannot do that in a drive-in. It's, it's nonsense. I remember just the, the – crinkle of the popcorn i know that that's what i was going to bring up so when we went to see we went to see a quiet place together i think we might have told this story on this podcast if if so forgive me when we went to see a quiet place uh together I, I brought in a protein bar and i i started opening it it was like this action scene i started opening it but a quiet place if you've watched it it goes through these ebbs and flows of very very quiet moments and very very loud boisterous moments by the way the one thing i'll say about a quiet place part two um, in terms of watching it again, is that that soundtrack, the sound design, the sound mixing, the sound editing, but also the music by Marco Beltrami is amazing. It's so good. It, it's it's funny. I, I didn't remember how good it was. And it's very, very emotional in the way that it's done. It's not just like this bang, bang, like type of monster hunting you down type music. It is very, very calm. And I don't know, some beautiful tones in that music. But regardless, I was eating this protein bar, I started to open it. And as soon as I started to open it, it went into this valley of no sounds. Because again, what Quiet Place is, is a lot of no sound moments. And I could, they could, everyone could basically hear me opening the crink, crinkling of this protein bar. And I was like, I'm going to stop. Because <laughs> you could hear it so audibly. It was like hearing a pin drop. I'm like, I'll wait. Because I heard somebody behind me, like, almost like a hemming me. And I'm like, I'm going to stop. I think it's not worth it. This, this fool is trying to eat a protein bar. Like, shut the hell up, bro. Anyway, I don't know where I went on that off on that tangent, but the point is... A protein bar. You can't get the same experience in home. It's not possible. And if you can, I mean, good for you. I guess you have a great home theater setup. But it's not quite the same. And I think the Warner Brothers and Disney understand this, and they've said this. But they keep doing these weird things where they claim, like they make announcements. For instance, you just mentioned that, that uh, Kalar had mentioned specifically that a lot of the lineup will be in theaters next year with a 45-day exclusivity window that they hashed out with Cineworld in the United States. And then I read the deadline article and the, the headline on that article was basically saying that it, it suggested to me that they were saying that they were going back to the theatrical window, like overall. But if you think about it, they're releasing 10 movies on HBO Max and in theaters simultaneously. That kind of suggests that the majority of the films, if they release the same number of films as they did in 2021, which was 17, if they release 10 in theaters and HBO Max for 2022, and they have 17 roughly movies for 2022, the majority of the movies are not in theaters Mm -hmm. as an exclusivity window. It just makes me want to purge, Simon. just makes me want to purge. Yeah, again... I don't understand. There's no way. You know, are you going to purge like the Warner Brothers executives and then they're going to end up uh, doing that anyway? The, the purge is a useless thing. I must like. Uh, isn't? Watch the movies, Simon. I think you believe in it now. I think you actually believe in it. I do believe in the purge. I also got to be careful. Like, I want to be clear. I'm joking when I say about the purge stuff because this could like legitimately be taken as a threat. And I want to. Like, I don't actually want to kill anyone. Yeah, no, I figured that. But yeah, it's a good thing to clarify. 
You also mentioned uh, that there's like white supremacy in in the Purge movies, but I feel like we should clarify that when you said that, you meant like there was lessons about white supremacy. That there were white supremacists in it, but it was meant to, to teach about why not to be a white supremacist. Yes. It wasn't like there was hidden hidden subliminal messaging about white supremacy in those movies and you liked it. That's not what you were saying. Yeah. I'm just going to put that out there. Yeah. Just to be I should clear. probably clarify that, dude. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Cool. That's, that's exciting. Exciting times. All right. Let's move on to the montage, a sequence of our show in which I briefly present the week's smaller news stories as Adrian delivers a brisk verdict. Number one, as Variety reports, Network CBS has renewed its lawyer drama The Good Fight for a sixth season on streaming service Paramount+. Oh, okay. Uh, they don't need lawyers in The Purge because all the crime is legal. Number two, as Deadline reports, Army of the Dead actor Teg Nataro, Falcon and the Winter Soldier actor Anthony Mackie, and Stranger Things actor David Arbor have all been cast in Netflix's family adventure film, We Have a Ghost. Oh, okay. That's neat. Number three, as The Hollywood Reporter notes, Superstore actor America Ferrara has just been cast in the Apple TV Plus TV series about the failed WeWork startup called We Crashed. The series will also star Jared Leto and Anne Hathaway. This is not to be confirmed, uh, sorry, confused with the Wii U. What? No one would have ever confused that. We're not a video game podcast and it doesn't even sound similar. Yet. That was the worst joke. That was the worst joke on this podcast, but focus a film and TV podcast. I'm just going to say so I'm going to fucking purge you. Number four, as The Hollywood Reporter references Netflix's Tidying Up star Marie Kondo's new series Sparking Joy will officially premiere on August 31st, 2021. Very interesting. Very interesting. I don't think she'll be able to spark joy into my life. That's for sure. Number five. As reported by Deadline, the In the Heights actress, Leslie Grace, has been cast as Batgirl, aka Barbara Gordon, in the upcoming HBO Max Batgirl film being written by Birds of Prey screenwriter, Christina Hodson. Oh my goodness. That's crazy. Another non-white actor taking the role of a white person? Unacceptable. The cancel culture has gone on too far. I'm, I'm kidding, by the way. Okay. Number six. According to Variety, the Emmy-nominated star of the HBO Max TV series I May Destroy You, Michaela Cole, has just been cast in Marvel's Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Neato. I'm still very curious what this movie's going to be. Number seven. As Variety reports, a live-action TV series adaptation of Neil Gaiman's novel Anansi Boys has officially been greenlit by Amazon. Neil Gaiman being brought up again in this episode. So many Neil Gaiman properties coming to life on the screen. Number eight, as Variety reports, The Haunting of Bly Manor writer Adimu John has been hired on to showrun the HBO Max Dune spinoff TV series Dune, The Sisterhood. Previous showrunner John Spates stepped down to write the second Dune film. Oh, interesting. Dune. Dune. Quite excited for the movie. Number nine. As Variety reports, director Jordan Peele's next film will be called Nope, will star Steven Yeun, Kiki Palmer, and Daniel Kaluuya, and will release on July 22nd, 2022. Ooh-wee! I really like Jordan Peele's uh, Get Out and Us movie. He wrote the screenplay for um, Candyman, which comes out next month. I'm quite excited for that movie as well. That's uh, being directed by Nia DaCosta, if I recall correctly. Number 10. As Deadline reports, Mindhunter actress Anna Torv has been cast as a smuggler Tess in HBO's series adaptation of PlayStation video game The Last of Us. Ooh-wee! I really like Anna Torv. Uh, she's awesome in Fringe, which is a stellar TV series. I love that show. 
And that concludes the montage. It's time to purge. Okay, man. What do you got for me? What do you got for me? I got new releases for you, Simon. I'm going to get through this quick, quack, quack, da, da. Just fire on through this. You ready? You ready? This is for the week of Monday, July the 26th to Sunday, August the 1st. Are you ready? Oh, I'm ready. Oh, I'm ready. I'm ready. Cool, man. Just like the the, the people in the purge, they're always ready to purge around on, on the purge day. It's the purge episode. Smellyville is the first movie coming out, and that's coming out on Tuesday, July 27th. It's a video-on-demand movie. It's an animated movie that stars a boy named Max and a bunch of trash-eating dragons. This was confirmed by the Apple TV app, by the way. Um, next up on the list is a movie coming out on Wednesday, July 28th. It's a movie called Bart Kolviak. It's a Netflix original movie, and it's about a former MMA fighter that takes over his dead his dead brother's nightclub, but soon learns his brother was killed. Oh, no. Oh, no. He's going to go on an MMA spree. He might purge a couple people, Simon. He might purge. These next movies that are coming out are coming out on Thursday, July 29th. This one, the first one that's coming out on that day is a movie called Resort to Love. It's a Netflix original movie, and it's about a woman who goes to a resort where her ex-fiance is getting married. It wasn't on purpose, though. She just happened to be there. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. For the for the, for the the ex-fiance. I feel like for both. Yeah. Just an uncomfortable situation. Maybe she'll purge while she's there. Oh, my God. You and the purge. Ride the Eagle is the next movie coming out. This is confirmed by Movie Insider and the Apple TV app. This is a video-on-demand movie, and it stars Jake Johnson J.K. Simmons and Susan Sarandon. Uh, And this is about a guy that has to do a wacky to-do list to claim his inheritance um, from his mother who just passed away. Interesting, interesting. Mm -hmm. Anything J.K. Simmons is in, I'm in, I feel like. Yeah. Even even uh, if it's a movie like The Tomorrowland? Tomorrowland. It's a bad movie. Tomorrowland is different. It's a bad movie, Simon. Anyways... Uh, the last movies that are coming out are all coming out on Friday, July the 30th. The first movie is a movie called Rarooney Kenshin, The Beginning. Ellie, what are you doing? Ellie, stop it. Sorry, that was my dog. Uh, is a movie called Rarooney Kenshin, The Beginning. It's a Netflix. I apologize to Kenneth for referencing video games. Oh. When did you reference video games? You said Ellie, stop it. Oh, funny. That was clever. Because Ellie is a character from The Last of Us. And it is also my dog's name. <laughs> Thank you for explaining that for Jimothy in New Zealand. No worries. I got you, Jimothy. Rooney Kenshin, the beginning for the 18th time I'm saying it, is a Netflix original movie. Now, this is weird because I feel like I mentioned that Rooney Kenshin, the final, came out of like a month or two ago. The, these movies are based on um, the manga series Rooney Kenshin by the same Joel, name. Joel, Joel, sit. Sit down. Down, Joel. Don't do that. Joel, come on now. You're ridiculous. You're just being ridiculous now. Come on, puppy. Um, Anyways, uh, I mentioned that, yeah, it's based on the manga series of the same name, I believe. And uh, I used to watch the anime of this. I really love Aruni Kenshin, the anime series. Uh, It was one of my favorites when I was younger. Definitely a little bit more mature than, um, like, for for the age that I watched it at. But I've seen it about three times. It's fantastic. This is, like, a live-action, like, Japanese, um, I guess, retelling of that story. But it's weird because, again... I swear to God, I read Raruni Kenshin, the final that came out a couple months ago, which was supposed to be the ending. But now they're coming out with the beginning. So I'm confused if the beginning is like a prequel or something or it's like a new beginning. Doesn't matter. 
Coming out next is the movie called The Last Mercenary, and this is a Netflix action comedy movie about a secret agent turned mercenary on a mission to save a son he never met. Wow. Mm -hmm. Enemies of the State is the next movie, and this is confirmed by the most reliable source on the internet, m.thefnumbers.com, and the Apple TV app. This is a video-on-demand movie. It's a documentary following a family targeted by the U.S. government due to their hacker son. Wow. 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 Lorelei is the next movie. I believe I'm pronouncing that right. And that is um, confirmed by the most reliable source on the internet. M.TheHeavenNumbers.com and the Apple TV app. It's a video on demand movie about a dude that gets out of prison after 15 years and rekindles a relationship with his high school girlfriend who is now a single mother. Would it not be Lorelei? Maybe. Hmm. Who cares? Masquerade is the next movie that's coming in, and it's uh, this is confirmed by the most reliable source on the internet, m.theheavennumbers.com and the Apple TV app. This is Home Alone, but rated R, and it's a thriller instead of a comedy, and the kid is an 11-year-old girl instead of Kevin, and the criminals are like a like more than just two criminals, and they're also led by a woman, um, and they're going to this kid's house to steal valuable artwork, uh, and the kid... Uh, although left alone in this home, um, it, the kid wasn't uh, home alone because their parents forgot about them when they went on vacation. So it's not really like home alone, but it kind of is. Okay. Yeah. All right. Green Knight is the next movie that's coming in. This is coming out to theaters, confirmed by our lovely Cineplex application. This is the uh, ne- newest A24 movie that looks absolutely awesome. I'm super stoked for this one. Um, watch the trailer. It's like kind of like a King Arthur style um, story, but it looks really neat. I'm I'm all into this. I'm all into this. I'm I'm very excited to watch this movie. It's probably um, the movie that I'm most excited for that's coming out this week. Simon, I see. I don't disagree with you. I, I'm looking forward to that as well. These three movies in a row here. The next two you're going to mention as well. I feel like I'm uh, I'm keen on seeing them as well. Potentially. I mean, it's definitely more keen on seeing these movies than going to watch. Snake Eyes. You know what I'm saying? G.I. Joe Origins, Snake Eyes. Yeah. You should go watch The Forever Purge. I'll watch it again with you. It's a good movie. Good movie. Uh, anyways, the next movie that's coming out is a movie called Jungle Cruise. It's confirmed by the Cineplex application. It's coming out to theaters. This is Emily Blunt and The Rock, and they go on a cruise through the jungle. Wow. Cool. Mm-hmm. And then the final movie on this list is a movie called Stillwater. This is, again, confirmed by the Cineplex application. It's coming to theaters. It's about Matt Damon, uh, and he I think he tries to just stay still in water or something. I don't believe so, but I am interested in seeing this movie, and I'm also interested in potentially seeing Jungle Cruise, but Green Knight, Stillwater, they're movies I would definitely want to want to catch. Like fish in a water. Stillwater. Is there any other movies coming out, or...? That's it. That's all, baby. That's it. That's all. That's the movies we got this week. We're done. That's me cleaning my hands. Done. No more. You slap your hands together when you clean them? Yeah. That's not super efficient. Speak for yourself. Very efficient hand cleaner. I hope so. Mm -hmm. For your sake. Okay, well, that's it. That's it for the regular scheduled programming on this podcast, episode 56. Do you have anything else to add there, Adrian? Do you have anything to say? Anything that you've left out? Um, any movies that you left mm. out? Maybe maybe there's another five or six movies you watched this week that you'd love to tell the audience about? No, Simon. That's ridiculous. Ten movies is enough. Oh, okay. Just checking. Just checking. Yeah. Purge movies are good, though. I like them. The Purge movies were the highlight of your week. That's the highlight for the movies you watched. 
Uh, no, Freaky was. I said that. Freaky was. And then Happy Death Day to You is like close to that one as well. But I really like the Purge movies and I like the Escape Room movies. The first Purge movie, like the actual, the Purge, the first one, is, uh, yeah, it's easily the worst out of everything I watched this week, uh, not including Old, which was the worst thing I watched all year, if not since The Circle. Okay, then actually just uh, just before we let everybody go, before we let Dennis walk into that dentist's office, let me just say to you, Adrian, let me ask you, we're at like just over the halfway mark now for the year. What was the best thing you've watched this year in your opinion? Like what was the thing that you're like, wow, that was that was the greatest thing I've watched? Let's say, I don't know about movies. It doesn't have to necessarily be a movie. And I know that this mm. might be a touchy subject. There might be multiple things. Just what's the first thing that comes to your mind? That's a good question. I don't know. I don't have my list of movies I've watched in front of me. I can't think of all of them, right? Say anything, even TV series maybe. Um, TV series was Queen's Gambit this year. I can't remember. It was not. Was for me. Um, here, give me a second. Let me get my give me, let me get my list real quick. What, what was yours? Mine was Bo Burnham's Inside. Oh, yeah, that's a really great one. Yeah, Bo Burnham's Inside. That that is like a phenomenal phenomenal time. I really liked that. I was just thinking about it again recently, and uh, one of the songs, the the you know Jeffrey uh, Jeffrey Bezos. Yes, Jeffrey, Jeffrey Bezos. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. Uh, it's hilarious, man. I, I listen to that soundtrack multiple times. And the one, the song about the internet is is amazing as well. And the even the song that it's it goes like, uh, "Keep your eyes on me" or whatever. All eyes on me. All eyes on me. It's just there's so Get many good songs in that, hand, and bro. the creative lighting, the creative projection. I just, uh, I really, it, it definitely sticks out to me. Lots of mm-hmm. good things we watched. I think Loki was really good as a TV series. Um, I did Man. actually finish Queen's Gambit, but that does I don't think it's your count because I'm pretty sure that was in November. Yeah. Was it? I don't I remember. I don't know. Here, one second. Let me get, grab my list real quick. I'll be right back. One second. Come here, list. Come here. I got you. Ah, yeah, I got my list. Okay. I'm back, baby. Movies watched. Am I counting movies that I watched that were technically released last year? Look, man, I was saying first thing that comes to your mind and you had to go grab a list. Promising Young Woman. You're asking the technicalities. Promising Young Woman. Also, the Fear Street trilogy. Those were awesome. That's like a more recent one. The Fear Street trilogy was like amazing. I love those. Yeah. Cool. That's it. That's all. Excellent. Already. Wasn't promising young woman last year it was but i watched it this year that's why i asked simon that's why i asked yeah i was as more gearing toward what came out this year at the end of the year we fear street trilogy baby fear street trilogy okay okay it's fine this is a long-winded question i apologize for asking it okay Thought for sure you were going to say the purge again because you've said the purge like 55 times this episode 55 times this is the purge episode this is yeah Uh yeah Mm -hmm. 55 purges. Okay, let's wrap it up. Let's wrap this baby up. Thank you for listening to the 56th episode of Split Focus, a film and TV podcast. My name is Simon Eady, and this is Adrian Pinter signing off. Hey, gang. So just uh, finishing the show, just a friendly reminder that um, Batman v Superman is a really good movie. It's a really great movie. I love it. Along with... All the Purge movies, except for the first Purge, which is te- the the actual first Purge, not the first Purge, which is the fourth Purge. The first Purge is the fourth Purge. Take care. Goodbye. I'm kind of surprised that that was your your go-to.
I, th- I thought you were going to be like, oh, if Batman was in the purge, he would have just killed everybody or something like that. I mean, he would have. Batflix Batman would definitely, he would have fucked everyone up. No, it's, it's good. We'll leave it. We'll leave the original in there. The original. Boring. Well, you can answer. add your little part. Why not add your little part? The boring connection to Batman versus Superman. No, just add your little part. Just add this, add this part in. What do we got to lose? Add this part about me making fun of your, your creativity. Oh, you're making fun? You were making fun? I thought you were just giving me ideas. Nice. Okay. You're just a meanie Bobini. It's fine. <laughs> a meanie Bobini. This is why we need the purge, Simon, so I can release my anger. On who? Tucker Carlson. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. He's just such a punchable face, dude. I wouldn't kill him. I would just punch him in the face. Just once, and then you walk away. <laughs> you suck, dude. Bah. Okay, this is this is over. Goodbye. Not forever. I mean, I mean, just this episode. I'm not upset or anything. Goodbye. Not not forever purge. This is long in the tooth, Adrian. Goodbye. <laughs>